Hello, story seekers. I'm Nico. I'm Ben, and you're listening to The Tiny Bookcase. We are now into the final week of our nano season. And our approach to the challenge has evolved into editing rather than raw word creation. NaNoWriMo challenges writers to pen 50,000 words in the month of November. Whereas we are now chewing through editing word counts with the ultimate goal of final drafts of our novels. So far in this nano season, we've explored a first draft from me, a mid-draft from Ben, and then a mid-draft by myself. You've had a lot from me now. And in this episode, we'll be hearing a supposedly final draft of Ben's and finding out if he thinks he'll ever finish it. It's pretty saucy, man. It's pretty saucy. It's, uh, I, I, these are the big questions. Supposedly final draft is fantastic. I can't remember which guest it was that we had. Um, uh, and I, I no offence intended at all, but... They said that uh, you could pick up any book off a bookshelf in a in Waterstones or any any bookshop, and go go to any page and see a bit that needs a revision that you yeah. could, that you could edit. Um, and we've spoken a lot recently about reaching that. Well, not necessarily recently, but in in the last few months about reaching that point where you're just like, ah, fuck it, this is done. Yeah. Not in a sort of um, blasé, uh, you don't really care about the work kind of way. Just in in there is the law of diminishing returns is active. Like you, yeah. you can only get so far. Um, and I think there are other things that can happen after that point. Like, um, so for myself, this is a, this is a, what I'm going to read is, is a supposedly final draft because only I've edited it. I don't have an editor. It yeah. hasn't been, um, it hasn't even been beta read or anything like that. It's not, this is a final draft of the initial drafting process, if that makes sense. Yeah. So if, if, and when, because uh, the whole book isn't at the stage yet, but if if and when the whole book is at that stage, at which point I will give it to beta readers. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. So this isn't like this this bit is going to be exactly as is when it's on paper bound in a book. That's yeah. that's not correct. Um, just thought I'd point that out as we're <laughs> just in case there isn't you've actually found anything like horrendously wrong with it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, we'll have to get to that one. So, mm. but the uh, the other section about like if I think I'll ever finish it, um, that that's the that's the thrust of the whole thing, really, isn't it? I mean, well, yeah, the the book the book needs to get to the point that I have this bit at, yeah. um, where things hopefully flow well, the story all works, and blah blah blah. A final draft. We've we've spoken to death about what that looks like. The um. It's been an interesting one this November, hasn't it? For well, at least for me, I I don't think this has really been a nano season so much as a no season because <laughs> we've definitely both been doing the novel part, but not ne- necessarily the National Novel Writing Month part. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, no, that that's that's totally uh, for me. That's totally imploded. I mean, I I think I spoke about it t- a couple of weeks ago about I started a new job, and um, I just I haven't. I definitely, I've barely updated the NaNoWriMo website thing. Um, And I don't know whether that's a failing on my part or whether it's just, I mean, I I haven't been too hard on myself about that because um, I am making progress. So I kind of don't care how that progress happens. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it definitely hasn't been a NaNoWriMo month. I mean, I think if we were to do this again uh, next year, as we did last year, 
um, potentially we would unlatch ourselves from the Nana Remo banner. Yeah, um, would be my would be my opinion because we unless we were definitely going to both be doing a first draft of something new, maybe. Yeah, I think that would because we haven't actually done that yet, have we? Both write in fifty thousand words to a prompt, Ben, over November. Oh, of course, yeah, that Imagine would be a, that. that would be pretty exciting, wouldn't it? Having to having to explain that to a publisher further down the line would be hilarious. It's like, so okay, we need where, you to. Yeah, where did this where did this idea together. come from? Yeah, <laughs> like, well, we we we, uh, we we went to our audience and asked them for a, for a novel prompt and then wrote a fucking novel. <laughs> we have not edited this, and I will tell you. <laughs> I I will not allow this to be edited. This is art in its purest form. <laughs> Editing is for cowards, you see. Oh, that, that's that. Oh god, this is probably going to sound absolutely stupid, but it is quite funny that there isn't like an editing process for something like like fine art. Do you know what I mean? In the same way that you you edit movies, you edit novels, you edit short stories, yeah. you edit poems, all these other art forms. You edit music, um, but like an artist, a painter can just slap paint on a canvas and then say it's done. There isn't like, I guess it's difficult to revise it, but, and it would be weird to do like 12 iterations of the same drawing perhaps, but. The closest thing you've got to editing tools is doing stuff like masking off an area so you can apply a different colour and get straight lines. Yeah. Like that, but again, that's a creative tool, not an editing tool. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess a can of spray paint is a good editing tool. You just cover the whole thing over. Just do a Banksy shredder on it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, well, anyway, novels. Um, that could be an interesting thing for next year, for certain. Um, is is Novelemba a thing? It sounds horrible, doesn't it? Novelemba. I, I regret saying it already. We should just become the massive bookcase during the, during November every year, rather than the tiny bookcase. Just one enormous shelf <laughs> filled with dusty tomes. So dusty. Right, so, come on. Enough knobbing about. I want to hear this supposedly. That sounds so smug. Supposedly final draft, Ben. Do you know the reason it's, it sounds smug, Nico? It's because I wrote that copy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh. oh, I mean, yes. <laughs> Right, okay, here we go. Um, so just a little bit of context, I will, because I think I felt like I should have given a bit more context last time I read out, um, or, or rather when you read out my piece earlier this month. Um, but uh, we're going to be, I'm going to be reading a, a section from the start of uh, what I think is going to be chapter seven. Um, and it is the second time we're meeting a character called Leora. And I think I have read out a, a little section of... Um, of Leora in the past on the podcast. I believe, I believe last year, yeah. Yeah, when she's like, um, she's got this like um, electrum rod stuffed with magic that she's um, she's trying to sort of sell on the black market in order to get her mother out of poverty. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, this, this is the second time we see Leora in the novel, and um, she's just been through uh, that plan falling on its face. And is now very worried about the outcome, including the outcome for her stepfather, who is called Callie. But uh, without having to give away the entirety of it, I guess I should just get started. Leora couldn't sleep. She had followed Callie's instructions and walked home, but rest eluded her. 
She was waiting for the door to their billet to be opened softly by Callie returning. With his return, she would know that all was well. The failure of her plan gnawed at her. It seemed now to be such a foolish scheme made by a spoilt child. She winced at every sound she heard her mother make while sleeping, and felt the guilt for what she had done grow. The sleepless night continued until the dawn bell rang out in the Turner housing. Leora rose quickly and made her mother's breakfast. Though her mother touched her gently on her shoulder as a greeting, they did not exchange words at the small table where they ate their meals. If anything, her mother appeared more tired than when she had gone to bed the previous night. The second bell sounded some time later, and her mother made for the door, ready to leave for her day at her station. Leora quickly grabbed her and hugged her. Her mother seemed uncertain about what she should do, but gradually folded her arms around Leora. I love you. Leora, her face pressed against her mother's chest, whispered softly. As she pulled away, the vacant but kind smile that she was growing to recognise of one of her mother's few remaining expressions was in place. Her mother left shortly after, and Leora sat back down at the small table. She sat there for some time before the tears came. She cried for her mother, for herself, and Callie. She cried for the way of the world and her lot in it. She cried for a long time, but eventually the shuddering sobs subsided. All was quiet around her, and she knew with dreadful certainty that Callie was long overdue. Her anxiety from the previous night roiled in her belly as actual fear then. Though she had been relatively sheltered by her upbringing situation, Leora resolved that she was no coward. She realised that she would rather die than let someone else take the blame for something she had done. With that realisation, she put her raincloak back on and left the billet. The Turner housing was muted. Those that were returning from shifts shambled towards their beds and the pitying glances of their loved ones. Those few that had families were perhaps trying to retain some semblance of a relationship with them before their capacity to do so was diminished entirely. The housing itself was not dug into a deep mesa shaft, as she had heard was done by the Torin Culvin far to the south. Instead, theirs were tall brown tenements fashioned from cheap materials. Their construction had been magical, or so Callie had told her when she was young, and as such they could build higher and make worse materials last longer. He had finished by saying that it would make little sense for the Major's negligence to kill their workforce, after all. Leora frowned at the memory. She quickly made her way down to the street level and ran on in the drizzle towards Sticky Street. There, as the day wore on, vendors peddling all manner of foodstuffs would ply their trade under canvas covers to keep the rain off. She'd often delighted to try anything she could get her little hands on there as a girl. Leora saw that the canvas roofs above the trader stores were sagging with the weight of the collected rain. One shop boy poked a long stick up to clear the pooling water sending it cascading over potential customers and earning him a beating from the stall's owners. Leora strode hurriedly along in the now slashing rain, pushing through the streets towards the centre of the city. Her path led her along past the imposing new tour which was under construction and along the side of one of the worksheds the cog turners ruined their minds in. She saw with a jolt of horror that it was a hiring day. People were queuing up to be tested, hoping for a job out of the rain. The would-be cog-turners waited in line for a chance to be tested by the bored mages who managed the desk at the front of the shed. Hundreds of them stood out in the rain, young men and women hoping to earn a decent wage by discovering even a minor latent ability for magical power. She felt sick to see it. The degeneration they were willingly accepting in order to feed their families. Or perhaps they thought it would make something of their lives. She wasn't sure which frightened her more, 
The knowledge of what they would lose felt horrendous to Leora. She wanted to pull them all out of the line and shake them, shout at them about everything she had seen her mother lose. Leora wanted to, but she couldn't. She couldn't compromise what she needed to do. The mages frowned on anyone interfering with the work process of the sheds, and Leora still feared they would be able to smell her own small ability as she passed them by. She had to find Callie. Only then could she begin to put things right. She knew from the end of the work shed, known as number three, it was a direct line to the lower city, where she would find purple-sashed medi buildings. The medi counting house, their barracks, and the courts all stood together, where the edges of the old town met the lower city, which had been built and remodelled under the medis and the mages. Leora walked until she was out of sight of the mages. Then she ran as fast as she could until she felt her breath begin to catch once more. She slowed her pace and allowed her lungs to relax before continuing. The wide-tiered steps that sloped down from Sticky Street to Medi Square were largely empty. The day was too young for sorry again. The day was too young for some businesses and too old for others. As such, she passed only those without jobs. There were two types of these people. The first were beggars or vagabonds who spent their days being run off or beaten by purple sashes. The second were wealthy families of merchants who made their money in the lower city and the docks. Leora knew it was the fashion for them to employ servants to hold fancifully designed umbrellas over their fine clothes as they strolled listlessly about their pointless and parasitic existence. Of the two types, Leora knew which she preferred. She reached the Medi Square and found a suitable shadow, cast by a large stone statue of a lion, from which she could observe the comings and goings. The lion itself had been nearly worn smooth of all remarkable or identifying features. She knew that the kings of the Gore in the time before the tower had taken a lion for their sigil. Traces of the kings could still be seen in the street names, pub signs and worn stone remnants like the one she now hid behind. Leora watched the comings and goings for a long time. The buildings of the Medi Square were made of white stone that shone like metal when it was wet and in the gore it was always wet. The sea spray and rain made sure of that. From every tall window hung purple banners as an overt display of wealth, power, and allegiance. There was no sign of Callie. She knew she would have to go in to try and find him. Without fully knowing what she was going to do next, Leora made for one of the entrances to the complex web of buildings. Though there were guards, comings and goings were so regular through the public buildings that she was not stopped. A myriad of pathways greeted her once she was inside. Each was sheltered from the rain by lead-lined archways that diverted the water flow into well-kept gutters. She took one at random and plunged deeper into the heart of the crooked bureaucracy which ruled the gore. On and on she walked, hoping against all hope that she would simply bump into Callie. He worked there after all. Why wouldn't it be possible she had simply been worried for nothing? When she found him, she knew she would be able to breathe normally again, without the lump of guilt lodging in her throat. Lyra found herself in a wide courtyard, uncovered from the rain. Evenly spaced and jutting up tall from the cobbles were stone monoliths slightly narrower than man. They stood nearly twenty feet tall, and roughly halfway up, they each had a small hole drilled through them, and a second hole close to the top. Lyra's stomach sank as she realised where she was. This was the pillar yard. Criminals fortunate enough to avoid a death sentence were pillared here for a time determined by the many judges. Many of the pillars were empty, but as she looked at the unfortunates who hung from them, she recognised the body of Callie. He had been strung up two rows back from where she stood. His feet had been lashed to the halfway hole in the stone, and his wrists had been tethered and bound to the upper hole. 
From those two points, he dangled uncomfortably, his muscles taut and unable to relax. She saw with horror they had stripped him of his clothes, and his ribs showed blackening bruises on both sides. She moved towards him cautiously, unsure if he was still breathing. When she eventually stood directly under him, Callie finally seemed to breathe. His chest rose slightly and collapsed as his overworked tendons failed to pull against his bindings. He opened his eyes, but she saw that the flesh around them was badly swollen. Leora! He croaked. It's a very cool scene. You think so? I do. It's... It's painting a lovely picture of that little bit of the world. And it does it so kind of gently and delicately through the piece. Like there's really offhandedly, you say, no, a white stone that shone like metal when it was wet. And it was always wet. And it, it just starts to build this picture of exactly where we are in absolutely the right way. Hmm. I'm glad. It's, I'm glad that that's that, that's one of my favourite lines from that section. So I'm glad that stood out. It's um, it's an interesting one because obviously this is in a stage where it's beyond my capabilities as an editor. So I don't have you think so many notes. Oh, I I do think so. Why Why do you think that? Um, just because it's like anything I would have caught. I know you would already have caught <laughs> for the most part anyway. Just because you know, like we had a um. You did send me a previous draft, and one of the things that I said that feels like a, a sticking point. You'd already, you'd found that in a new draft. Mm. Um, there's only one sentence that feels a bit unwieldy. Okay, really, which is uh, the Medi Counting House, their barracks, and the court all stood together where the edge of the old town met the lower city, which had been built and remodeled under the Medis and the Mages. Yeah, yeah. it's a very long. Um, I, it's a good sentence, but I I think it needs something in there to let you take the in breath, even if it's mentally. And that's yeah. that only comes from I think exactly like I said. The sentence looks absolutely perfect on paper, and then you read it out loud, and you go, "Oh." <laughs> but that in terms of sentence structure, that's the only one. Um, yeah. Okay, that's good feedback. Um, I think I agree. Uh. That uh, I, even as I was reading it, I felt like I was um, I was st- sort of struggling towards the end of it. Um, one of the biggest things that gets me when I'm reading out the novel stuff at the moment yeah. is the repetition of uh, the names of things. So either character names yes. or places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if it's just because I'm looking at this work so much or whether it legitimately is a problem. But I feel like I'm just saying the, the, like the proper nouns over and over and over again. Some of them it's really difficult to not because like you can say uh let's use Callie's name as an example, you can say Callie, you can also say he, and you can say not much more. You mm. could say her That's stepfather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you are quite limited, and especially with with places, you could say th- her city, the city, their hometown. But you, you, if you, as soon as you start saying things like their hometown, it it's downscales that place. It does, and it goes from some yeah. like this kind of fallen Rome to like a village in the middle of Sussex <laughs> very quickly. Yeah, 
Yeah, but I, but there's, I, I don't know whether that's a. I feel like that's something that's going to get caught in the beta reading phase. Yes, because I actually don't. That might not be a problem for the reader. Yeah, um, true. It, it might just be in our heads, uh, or or it may well be a problem, in which case it can be fixed. But it, it, I think it's definitely something that uh, when I eventually do reach that stage, that I am going to be like, just after someone reads it, I'll be like. Did you find that I was using like proper nouns too much? <laughs> um, do, do you want us to call the nouns for you? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other thing to note about this is that, yeah. um, as I say, this is the start of chapter seven. Um, after Callie croaks her name at the end there, um, what's going to happen inside my chapter structure is that I'm, I have multiple perspectives and it's going to switch mid-chapter. Oh, that's cool. So there's going to be a little asterisk or whatever in the middle of the uh, middle of the page to indicate um, a character break, a character change, yeah. and then and then the next part of the this chapter seven is is from Schillingstock's perspective. Yeah, um, and that is going to happen. It it starts slowly at the start of the novel, like in in part one. Typically, a chapter is just from that character's point of view. Yeah, but there are, in the three as the three parts progress, the chapters begin to switch around more and more and you see it's like the story like is weaving together hopefully yeah yeah different perspectives that's um, really good and this is only the so chapter seven is only the second time that it happens in the book okay um so it's quite an early one um and i'm quite looking forward to people people's thoughts on those i mean it's difficult because we we can't read out too much of the novel on on Yes. On here, even if it's in like a really early stage and all the rest of it, because we, you know, eventually we're going to try and sell these books. Um, but I am, I am, for the first time in a while, I'm, I'm sort of getting quite excited about people actually getting to read it. Oh, um, which I would say is a direct result of the process that we've had on the podcast for this last yeah. month. Um, I, uh, is the what's happening to Callie? Is that a real torture method? Because it's fucking horrible. I mean, it's it probably is. Like, I mean, the I I I created that, but I think. I bet you did, you sick sick <laughs> bastard. <laughs> but the and there's a reason for the pillars, which becomes obvious later on. But um, the that kind of torture, you know, where people can't like fully stand up or they can't yeah. like ever like relax their muscles. That's that's ubiquitous across culture, like oh, human yeah. cultures across the globe, like. Humans are really good at giving pain to other humans. Ironically, um, there's a a similar thing in my work in progress. Is there? But it's it's to do with tying two men so that they're back to back with their arms lashed up around uh, the the large pillars that hold up a tent. Oh. So one man can get out by pulling the other man apart. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's, a, that's a cool one. Um, I mean, it, this one is is a bit more like a crucifixion, isn't it? Um, yes, but without the the tipos. <laughs> it's a crucifixion that's loaded in. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. There's there's no bugs in this in this religion. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, let's do some let's do some nice compliments because I wrote down things, and we'll start was, with the easy ones and work. That was out. inexpertly jumped across, by the way. Oh yeah, I <laughs> fell in it. I fell in the hole. <laughs> With my arms out. So, um, I really like the name Sticky Street. Yes, yeah. I wanted oh, it to have um, a, quite a, like a down-to-earth feel to yeah. the older bits. I mean, those things like, you know, you get to like Pot Street or 
the, the, the streak of silk or whatever, and they're all the shades. Yeah, yeah. But my, I know. Obviously, it's meant to be like sweet things and nice things and tasty. My brain immediately went, "That's the hooker district, isn't it?" Well, we do see um, Leora going through like the back yes. alleys uh, in the, in the first part, so I think that's a completely reasonable thing to assume. Um, I think it's maybe I just know you, Ben. Yeah, well. I think it's well. That's there's there's also a bit in this in the section where it says like uh, some it, it was too early for some businesses. Uh, too sorry, late too, for others. Yeah. And, yeah, too late for others. So I think it does change its face somewhat when the night dawn when the night uh, uh, overalls these uh, peddlers. There's a lovely bit of world building in that section as well when you're talking about you know the two types of people who are out at that time of day. Mm. Especially because it's not a matter of fact there are these people and these it's. It's got that little tinge of character perspective, mm. which means, like, especially the the vitriol towards the the posh people with their umbrellas, as it starts to spill over, and then it's it's almost like a tongue in cheek. She preferred one more than the other, and it's actually really well placed because I don't know whether you intended it to or not. It's it is funny. It's funny because it's like, yeah, we know. But actually, putting a pin in that makes it into a punchline. Yeah, um, I mean, it's so it's so amusing, isn't it? That yeah. um, we've we've got to check to to make sure that I actually intended something to be funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I did. That was that yeah. was that was deliberate. Um, I'm glad I, I like. I think I, what I've hopefully done is because it, it's quite a it's not dry, but it's um, it's quite a serious book um, because it was always going to be because of who I am. But I think it does have bits of my dry sense of humour yeah. throughout it. Um, and it might be the case that that needs to be, on a macro scale, maybe that needs to be drummed up or maybe even muted down, I don't know, or maybe it's fine. But um, I, I like catching people off guard with that kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, um, there, There is a bit I want to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. And it's, so there was a lot of characterization about the loss of the self for her mum. Yes. And it is perfect mm. so as someone who's gone through something very similar with my mum yeah and you know struggling with her having brain cancer and then kind of bits of her seeming to disappear and she doesn't quite know how to interact anymore and it was her approach to it and and like how you told that in it wasn't in a I'm, I'm struggling to put the words together for it, really, but okay. you you say you say it very honestly, mm. and it's without any kind of like, isn't that sad? It's just a, unfortunately, this is the situation. Yeah, and... she, she saves her anger for trying to stop people from going down that path. After yeah, that, doesn't she? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's, yeah, really, just really nicely put together. My note in its entirety was, I can relate to this a lot, mm, good. which is that's what you need really from something like that it is i mean i know we've been we've spoken about it on the podcast before but obviously and you, as you've just said you have been through something quite similar to that um yeah and you have you have a working knowledge of that um that emotional state um initially this idea of um i wanted magic to have a cost in yes this this novel and the cost is at the expense of yourself always yeah. is and then what follows is the industrialization, which is what the cog turners are in their Turner worksheds, is they are 
basically just repeatedly wringing out every last drop of magic in them for a work shift. Yeah. That's what they're doing every day, which means that they are burning their self every day. Um, and that's why they're all just completely fucked. And initially the idea was, oh, that that would give them Alzheimer's or something was where, was where that idea started. Yeah. But I have to say it has the general concept through the novel has developed further along the lines of what we've just been speaking about because yeah. of our closeness and because I've seen you go through what it's like to be on the other side of, um, you know, uh, you know, parental illness and stuff. Yeah. That's so, genuinely fascinating. Hmm. So yeah, it, it went from being like a far more like 2D Alzheimer's illusion to yeah. actually what does this do to people around around them? Because it is, it is an, like it it gives Leora a dimension because everyone knows someone who's gone through this. Is if it's them, if it's a friend, if it's you know you've lost a family member to to any kind of degenerative illness that you've seen because it it hits people in weird ways. Yeah, and very few people just become sad about it. Generally, yeah. you just feel like the universe is full of injustice, and it's then you know how that channels, and it means that Leora has this incredible drive that is at this point in the story, from what I can see, so understated because she can't let herself be as angry as she is, because then the the sniffer mages is just going to get her straight away. Yeah, like that's what what a threat, what a way to to kind of wind real interpersonal and personal stakes into a world like this, and add that to the cost of the magic. Like that is, in terms of storytelling, that is genius. Well, I I feel like that that last bit might be a bit strong, but I appreciate the compliment for sure. It, it's um, I I like it. You know, it's um, she's she's. I mean, there are only three main characters in, in the book, yeah. um, and I wanted her to be very strong, and uh, hopefully, because of exactly that kind of tension and stuff that you've just described, that is one of the reasons why I think she is she is strong. She will, and I think she will get stronger as I continue to edit. Um, but uh, yeah, I, uh, I've as I was saying, I was getting, I'm getting excited about people reading it, and I think that's because. I think you fall in in and out of love with a story that you're telling as you as you're creating it as you're crafting yeah. it, um, and that happens very quickly if you're doing a short story. And um, it's almost like a short story is like a fling, yeah, um, or like a one night stand or whatever. Whereas a a novel feels like a much larger relationship, and it has its peaks and troughs, um, and the troughs feel real fucking shit because you're just like. Have I wasted my time on this? Yeah. Does it mean anything? It's you know you can apply it all to the to a novel, I think. Um, but overall, there has to be this like central uh, knowledge that there there is meaning in creation or you know pursuing the relationship. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's where I'm at at the moment with this. I'm, I feel very firm in that this is going to be. I'm going to be uh, pleased with the outcome of this book, and hopefully, I think people are going to like it. Are you fucking the book, Ben? I might have fucked the book once. Uh... The goddamn book. <laughs> <laughs> no, the um, it's actually really nice to hear it because like, obviously we talk about this stuff all the time on mic and off mic. Yeah, and it's nice to see you kind of swinging back up into because I'm, I know, 
that with the time and energy you've put into this, it's going to be good because I know you can tell great stories and I know you have a brilliant mind for expansive kind of low fantasy stuff. So if there was a story there to be had, even if you had to carve it out of the stone with your teeth, it's going to be there. Mm, Thank you. And it's nice to see you on an upswing with it because it, it is, it is hard. It like people are being really supportive of, uh, you know, after having read a bit more of it on the, the last episode and, but some of the, the stuff people are saying, even when it's meant to be helpful, it's like, Oh, I, I just can't fucking do this. <laughs> it's, it's strange. For your, for your own novel, you mean? Yeah. For, for yeah. myself. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to know that, even as I'm getting a bit of, oh my god, I just need time not doing this. Yeah, that you're you're hitting that that upset, and it makes me feel better about what I'm doing, and then want to work on it, which is the, the kind of the beauty of this, isn't it? Yeah, it's it. One might even say it's the point in a way. Um, yeah. Of of this, uh, you know, this month long thing that we're doing uh, once a year. I think because we are uh, primarily short story writers at this stage. Yes. Um, but I, you know, as I said last week for your story, you know, I, I have no doubt that there is, um, you know, a really good book on the on the horizon for you that you are nearly there. And I'm hoping that that's the that's the case for me as well, because I, I think it'd be fantastic if we had the ability to you know produce some novels whilst alongside our short story writing, and just be able to talk to people and other and continue to talk to other authors on the podcast. Yeah about the processes that we're going through um yeah it's 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 a happy time but it's it feels like um not like a not like a giggling laughing happy it's more like um a joyous feeling that's i I don't know whether i've described that particularly good there's a bit in one of the one of the pratchett novels where nanny og describes uh the difference between like happiness and joy and she's yeah. like happy at a party, but she's joyous after giving birth. And there's a very yeah. different, different feeling. Um, it's it's like um, it's like climbing a mountain, breaking the cloud cover, and seeing the world. Mm. And even though you're still exhausted, and you feel terrible, like what what have you? What have you? What have you indeed? Well, I mean, hopefully it'll uh, continue continue to work um as we go forward but um this is actually going to be the last episode in our uh nano uh, nano season for 2022 isn't it um it is and then we'll be back to our sort of normal programming if we were going to use radio speak um we'll be having would... sounds like you decided for us that we're using radio speak but well i think I, I just have like a 1940s radio presenter inside my head just reading the news to me as and when it happens so just Putting that on the outside. Yeah, we, on. We sorry, we I couldn't tell if you were coughing or not. <laughs> uh, I've lost my I've lost my thread. I've lost my thread. Um, so have I. Last uh, last one of the nano season. Yeah. Uh, you got a radio presenter living in your head. Mm-hmm. And then. Yep. 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 Okay. So yeah, we'll be going back to our regular, uh, as I say, programming with authors and short stories and interviews. It's all going to be good, but 
I think what we do need to make sure that people know is that in the background, we are also working on these novels. You know, eventually, eventually we will get there. It feels like it's taking, well, I think it is taking a long time. Um, but we'll we'll keep you updated, I think, as we go, just as and when things happen. And obviously, they're coming out as a double box set. If either of us gets an offer for just one of the novels to get published, Turn I'm going to tell them no. Yeah, yeah, they can stuff it. It's going to be one side is Ben's book, and then if you flip it over like upside down, there's a much thinner <laughs> bit that's my book. <laughs> oh, I was thinking this just from listening to you read out uh, a section of mine in in yeah. um, the the second episode of this nano season. Um, I mean. I, I have every intention if I ever get to a point where I could possibly sell this to uh, to people and you know like to a publisher or whatever like that you know absolutely like blue skies pipeline dream yeah, yeah. thought but um they've got to they've got to get you to do the audiobook man like they've just got to that would be fantastic I think I think you get a say don't you I don't I don't know some some of our uh, guests have said that they did and some some of them said that they didn't so I'm not I'm not sure about that one do my own one in a shed. Do your own one. In, yeah, do your... Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what people do when they self-publish novels. It's true. They, they just... And we are fairly uniquely set up to do that with our It'll, recording equipment. That's by microphone. Oh, wait. I don't know why, but in my head, I went to, like, who could pip you to that role as the as the audiobook reader in my head. And... Uh, like... I, you know, your friend Nico can do it. We we have got Tom Hiddleston on the line, and <laughs> no, you're like, no, 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 oh. no, no. I I don't give a fuck about like celebrities doing it and stuff like that. I I would, it, it would be the the audiobook narrators that I love from from reading from listening to other people's work would be Mr. Briggs, uh, Stephen Briggs, uh, Nigel Planer would be a good one. Mm. Um, yeah, there's so many. The guy that reads the uh, Abercrombie books, he's fantastic. Yes. Um, no, but... those those are great options, Ben Bubbler. <laughs> I love those options, but we have like you're gonna have to pick between Charles Dance and Mark Hamill. They're both oh. really interested. Well, it would have to be Mark Hamill, I think. He's he's the voice actor, isn't he? He is, but can Chuck come over anyway? Uh, yeah, I if call I him could Chuck. just we're close. If we can make it like a private, just just can I listen to Charles Dance read my book to me? Would that be nice? I, think I just imagine you and I like spooned in bed. <laughs> Charles starts reading your book to us from a little chair next to the bed. That's delightful. I think you found the episode art. Um, oh, that's so much to draw. <laughs> <laughs> just Charles dancing in a fucking smoking jacket. Oh, fantastic. Right, we, we really have uh, strayed beyond the realms of discussing uh, NaNoWriMo, but um, any last thoughts on how this has gone? Because as I say, this is the final episode, so... I I think it's been interesting. I think NaNoWriMo is an interesting tool, but like all tools, you have to use the right one for the job you're doing, and I do not think I have engaged with it well or used it particularly well this year. That being said, I like that all of a sudden it was like, uh, stop fanning about, this is the time when you work on your book, and it kind of kick-started me again. Yeah. So I will give it that credit. Yeah, I think, I think I'm in a very similar place with it. I, I completely agree. I think it's a very useful tool for just getting through that barrier. If you, if you have a barrier in your head about worrying whether you you are capable of writing a novel in terms of yeah. the just the raw material, the words on the page, then NaNoWriMo is an excellent tool just to smash that 
uh, illusion away. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, in terms of actually creating usable words and editing them and creating a final finished prod, you know, product project thing, no, no, not at all. I think you've got to, you've eventually got to got to do that for yourself. Yeah. Well, I think that that about wraps up our nano season. See you on Monday for uh, for an interview that's been a long time coming. Oh, yeah, we got we got we got very rudely interrupted by November this year. Um, so you'll be seeing uh, seeing a return of a good of a good friend in an interview on Monday. Right, get out of here, you cheeky boys and girls. <laughs> Let's not use that. <laughs> Let's not use that. <laughs> In fact, let's leave in me saying let's not use that. Let's let's have all this. Let's have all this in. Hey, hey, no, Peter, Nico, no. this is all staying in. Um, no, it's bye, not. everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck! Good lord, sir. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Tiny Bookcase. Remember to subscribe, otherwise you're going to miss out on the future fun. Also, tell a friend. If you like this episode, link them to it. We'd be tremendously grateful. You can follow us on Twitter at Bookcase Tiny, Facebook at The Tiny Bookcase, and Instagram at Bookcase Tiny for updates. Speaking of supporting the podcast, well, magic can only take one so far. The Tiny Bookcase is supported by the generosity of its patrons. Those kind souls have really kept my belly full the last year. Let's cast a spell for them, shall we? For a Magnificent Beardery, let's cast the Chinicus Folliculale spell on Gary Laird. For rich ginger tones on the scalp, let us cast the Orangi Hedondo spell for Scott Byrne. And for general fabulousness, why not the Ulala la Mother spell on Matthew McLaren? How do you come up with that shit, man?